And some of you I do know, and I, I love this place probably beyond what I can currently express right now without getting maybe emotional. So thank you for allowing me to be here. My wife did say that I was ringing earlier. So if that is, is am, I, am I annoying anyone with my voice? Okay, if it's a problem, let me know, and I can just turn the mic off because I'm told I'm not always quiet. <laughs> so I can be very loud, and I'm trying not to be too, I'm trying to maintain the lower voice when I've got this mic. So is it really okay? I feel a little ring where I am. Maybe it's where I'm standing. Do I need to move one way or the other? I'm, I'm good, he says. I'm good. So several weeks when I was here, we started looking at 1 Peter. We're going to continue there today. We'll see if we continue with 1 Peter or if we pick up. I know you guys were doing John back before the, uh, in the fall, before you moved into your Psalm series. So depending on how things go, we may even jump back in there. But today, at least, we're going to be back in 1 Peter. So I'd encourage you, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We saw, and if you weren't here, it's okay, we're going to catch you up. We're not going to talk a lot about what we did discuss, but we, we did look at how God causes people to be born again to a living hope. And Peter talks about it's through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that's secure for salvation that is to be complete, okay? That's what we're going to kind of focus in as we now look at verses 8 through 12, so I'm going to invite you to stand. If you have a Bible, keep it open, but we're going to read what is up here, which um, I usually use the ESV. I'm not sure what... Oh, no, I know this is the ESV because I put this one together. I actually put this slide together. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1. This is God's word to us this morning. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, Father, as we listen to your word about you, Lord Jesus, we need for the Spirit to work in us and to open us up to the things that we need to see. We understand this was written long ago, but it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, and we need for you to cut and to heal. Today, we ask in your name, amen. You may be seated. So I understand we all are... Many of us come from a variety of different worldviews, and so I don't want to pretend like we're all coming from the same worldview, Having said that, we're talking about and trying to understand what the worldview of the Bible is and what the worldview of the Christian story is. And as we look at this from this particular text, but then also a little more broadly at all of Scripture, we see this. Hope requires salvation. That's kind of our big idea. Hope requires salvation. So I have two questions. Why? 
Like, why does hope require salvation? And then what is the hope salvation brings? So we're going to kind of look at each of these, okay? Why is it that hope requires salvation? So there's kind of this big need that we have. This, um, this term salvation, it, it encompasses much when you look at the New Testament. It's, it summarizes kind of the whole Bible story, like sal- salvation. It's the mission of God. It's the work of Jesus. It has all kind of like religious and spiritual connotations that I'm not sure we all can, like we, we, sometimes when we even use the word, we start putting on like a religious voice. <laughs> salvation. <laughs> we, we have these different ideas, right, of what this salvation actually is. But it also has kind of a tangible meaning, doesn't it? Well, it, it does. I'm telling you. you don't, I would invite you to consider that it has like a tangible meaning. When you think of salvation, what kind of things come to your mind? So I've thrown out some questions for your, um, for your townships, and this is one of the first questions. What do you think of when you think of salvation? Does anybody want to answer that? Does anybody? I'm not going to put you, I'm going to put you on the spot, but you don't have to answer. What like comes to your mind when you think of salvation? I'll give you five minutes. Here we go. I'm, I'm kidding. Does anything? Say safe. Saved. Saved. Okay, good. Yes. Peace. Peace. Hope. Hope. <laughs> Thank you. Good job. You're my plant. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so. Lots of things. When I was, I have no idea. Maybe I was three, maybe I was five. Heck, I could have been 18. No, I probably wasn't 18. It was at the ocean. So I grew up, my wife and I both grew up in South Carolina. So we would spend some time at the ocean. You know, the, the east side. East, yeah, the east ocean. Um, and so I was out in the surf one day. And all of a sudden, the, the, the tide or the riptide or something caught me. And drug, I mean, remember, I'm three years old, drug me five miles out into the ocean. You know it wasn't really five miles, right? Okay, that's what it felt like. I was out in the water, and I was looking at my mom and my dad, and they were little, like, stick figures sitting up on the beach. I was dead. I was dead. You know, I was starting to go under. It was starting to suck me under. I was dead. And the next thing I knew, I, I felt my dad's arms pick me up, and he, and he pulled me back in. He sh- saved me from dying. He saved me from getting eaten by sharks, one of my greatest fears, along with snakes. He saved me from getting eaten by sharks and rescued me and put me on dry land. That was salvation, yes? That was absolutely salvation. Uh, my wife and I have a, uh, a relative who's a recovering alcoholic, and several years ago, she was throwing up blood. She went to the doctor, and the doctor said, if you drink again, you will die. I think that she would say that saved her. She went to rehab. Um, she's been dry for five years, been sober for five years. She's been restored to life, to health. That is, that's like salvation. And you can probably think of, uh, and I encourage you, think of others. Like Think of things that you would consider to be salvation. So one of the big stories in the Bible of salvation in the Old Testament was when the people of God, Israel, was in Egypt, And there was enslavement to them over many years of being in that place. And God sent a man named Moses to come and to rescue them, to save them out of their slavery, out of the death and the oppression that they were experiencing, out of the meaningless of their life. He he saved them. Okay, there's lots of little illustrations we could look at. So why is it that we need salvation? Because things aren't right in the world. That's why. Because things aren't right with me. 
It doesn't appear that we have the ability to fully overcome whatever is wrong in the world on our own. It's like there's something fundamentally wrong with the world. Isn't there something? Seems like there's something fundamentally wrong with the world. If we don't think hope requires some kind of deep salvation, I would challenge that we may not be aware of how dark things actually are. It's a challenge to consider. But also, we may not be dreaming of how great things can actually be. Like, if this is the best, eh, come on, let's dream bigger. Salvation offers you an option to dream bigger. So why, do we, why, do we, why does it require salvation? Because we need it. Salvation is almost synonymous with hope. Those things can be interchangeable in some ways. And it's about two big movements that I've already mentioned. So I just want to lay these out really quick. Two big mo- the first is rescue, deliverance from unhealth. There is a rescue from something, from slavery inflicted on, on us by others, right? Sometimes we need salvation because of the oppression that others have put on us, but also that we have inflicted on others and on ourselves. We need salvation. We need rescue from slavery, from death. And when I, I want to look at death, I want to think of death big, right? Death is suffering. Death is dehumanization. Death is deterioration. Death is separation, division, disunity, mistrust, anxiety, depression, unlove, hate, Bigotry, racism, sexism, debt, guilt. This is death to your soul. This is death to your life. We need rescue out of death. And then we need, ultimately, with that, physical and spiritual death. Like, we're all going to die. What's the end of that story? How about rescue? And then we need rescue from meaninglessness, from the emptiness that sometimes we experience or often experience. So that's the negative side. We need restorate, we need rescue, deliverance, but we also need restoration to health. What is that? Well, it's restoration to the opposite, to freedom, life, and meaning. Okay, so this is just kind of a framework. This, so the whole Bible deals with this. This isn't so much Peter's issue. Like he's assuming some of these things is, is my understanding. So what we want to do is we want to look at what is the hope that this salvation brings? What is it that Peter actually discusses in the first part of this letter. So he's intertwining several different dimensions as we read through this particular text. He's looking at it from several angles, and they're, and they're this, and we're going to look at each of them. There's future. There's kind of a future hope, a future salvation. There's a present, there's a past, and then there's a personal aspect to salvation that helps us understand the hope the salvation brings. Okay, you with me? We good? So we're going to kind of run through each of these. Hope. We didn't read this part. We read it the last time I was here. Verse 5 talks about salvation ready to be revealed. If you have your Bible, you can see, in the last time, there is something coming. God is going to rescue and deliver and restore. No matter how bad things may get, there is an end and there is a new beginning on the horizon. And all of this, even the hardship, will eventually, in verse 7, say, be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the end, there's a party. There's deep celebration. Those who trust, here's the Christian story, those who trust in Jesus will be blown away and overwhelmed by the renewed goodness of that future day. That breeds hope. 
Then verse 9 that we did read says, You will obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, which is your whole life, your whole being, your whole person. You're going to obtain this. This salvation is your future rescue that leads to restoration of freedom, to be who you were actually made to be. We all know there's something, man, we're like, we're like um, an egg. We're, we're, we need to grow. We want to hatch out. We know that there's something more about us. Okay, that is coming. There's freedom. There's life. No more death. No more dying. No more separation. No more disunity. There is purpose. We get to get back to what we were made to do, a building and cultivating and ruling and serving as God's image bearers, fully free and full of life. This is the future hope. This is a future hope that salvation says that it brings. Now, I'm not saying that any of you have to believe this, but I'm saying this is what the story says is the future for those that are in Jesus. But this salvation is not just about a few. I mean, that's great. So why don't we all just go die for heaven's sake? What's the point? Like, the salvation is coming. Okay, well, how much longer do I have to be here? Okay, it's not about that. It's, it's about a future day, yes, but it's also about today, a present reality. So, even right here, so we see this in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Present tense. Uh, though you do not now see him, you believe. Present tense. And you also, present tense, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Your current love, belief, and celebration, you have those because of the salvation, yes, because of what you will receive, but also because of the salvation that you are receiving. Can I emphasize that now? Even more, as you live in this faith of love and belief and celebration, the outcome is spreading the salvation in our lives in the present. It's starting to spread whatever this salvation is in our present. All right, do you, do you come more, I right, think about your own life. Do you come more alive when you are joyful and loving or when you are hateful and bitter? Okay, who comes more alive when they're hateful and bitter? Who feels like, man, I'm just living the life when I'm hateful and bitter, when I'm angry? Mm. Maybe you do. I don't know. Let's talk about that. There's probably something to that. You probably have actually felt that before. I, I know for myself, with the hate and the bitterness and the anger and the rejection and the unforgiveness, all that stuff, it kind of diminishes my humanity. I just don't feel as complete. I think we watch others who go through that, and it's like there's something not human about that. It moves us to unhealth. It leads to my, the reason I have to, well, it's not completely because it's a genetic problem too, but it leads to me having to take pills because of my high blood pressure. And do you know what gout is? You're too young to know what gout is. Don't know what gout is. It's a horrible, it's crystallization of uric acid in your joints that comes on if you drink too much beer, whoops, um, red meat, eat too much red meat, but also from anxiety. Leads to unhealth. Living in light of his salvation spreads his salvation in and through us. This is a means by which God delivers us today from the slavery, from the death, and from meaninglessness. That's hope for today. It's not just for, it's hope about tomorrow, sure, but it's also hope for today. It doesn't always work as fast as we like, though, does it? 
Mm-mm. It's how God works. God's timetable, God's ways are not our ways. Like Christians like to say that. God's timetable is not my timetable. It's how he works personally. As we keep focusing on him and his better life, it starts eating away from the anxiety, the fear, and the anger. It can actually start eating away. It starts eroding that. But it also, it also affects us socially. As we're overcome by his better life, it helps us to see where his life is missing in the world. Like, as we start overcoming by, like, he starts to capture us, we start looking around and we, and we man, it's sad. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. It's where he exposes us to the unhealth that's around us. And he invites us to follow him and to act in society and in culture to bring health wherever we are. As he captures us, we now want to, he wants now through us to bring health to others around us. That takes effort. We want to. What do we do with that? Well, start to desire the better. Start to pray for the better. Start to work for the better. And I know I'm jumping, this is something uh, we'll talk more about, but also I encourage you to talk about when you get together in townships, because I'm jumping beyond what Peter is directly saying right here. He's going to get, he is actually going to get into this a little bit more as you read the letter, as it unfolds. Um, He's setting the stage right here. As a matter of fact, the next verse that we didn't read, verse 13, um, leads us into how our lives are to be animated by the salvation. He says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you set your mind fully on this grace, on this salvation, it prepares us to act out grace. Yeah? So when you're, when you're preparing your mind because you're saturating in this hope of the salvation, it begins to prepare us for action. But the salvation is something that has also already unfolded and also has been accomplished. So this is in verses 10 through 12. So I'm going to read, what time is it? 11.55. Am I boring anybody horribly? Can I keep going? i got a lot more to say. I'm just going to read this. So this is from the uh, translation called The Message. It says this. I'm just going to reread what we read before. This is 10 through 12. The prophets who told us what was coming ask a lot of questions about this gift of life God has prepared. It was preparing. The Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it, that the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when. All they were told was that they were serving you, you who by orders from heaven have now heard, have now heard for yourselves through the Holy Spirit the message of, whose prophecies fulfill, of those prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be on, in on this. The salvation has been in the works for a long time. So the prophets who came way before Jesus... Okay? Before Jesus was actually born and before the apostles even entered the scene, their job was to tell about this grace that was coming. So this is like the Old Testament stuff. They were telling this. Not that they fully understood this, but they were led by God's Spirit. His Spirit was working with them. They were listening. They were searching. They were inquiring, trying to understand who the Christ, their, their Messiah, their King, 
who this rescuer would be and when he was, when he was going to show up on the scene. They talked about it, they looked forward to it, and they were longing for this particular person to show up. They didn't know who he was exactly or how this was going to work or when it was going to happen, but the Spirit was impressing upon them something, his sufferings and his subsequent glories. The Spirit just kept pushing that on them. In doing so, they were not simply serving themselves and their people at the time. They were serving the generations that would follow. They were progressively, they were progressively preparing the way, clearly showing the need for salvation. Like, read the old book, the old part of the book. It clearly shows something's wrong with the world. So they're showing this need for salvation that would ultimately have to come through some kind of suffering and greatness of a person. This is what they kept saying in different ways and different forms. So this shapes, therefore, that's kind of like the perspective on how you go back. It shapes how we look at the Old Testament, but then also how the Old Testament helps us to read the new part, how it helps us to read the New Testament and the story of Jesus. It's one unified story that leads to the rescuer. That's the point that Peter's saying. But now the mystery, Messiah, has appeared. So that was all their stuff then. Now what? Now meaning the people that Peter are talking to which would translate to us. Now what? Peter and his audience and all of us who come after have the mystery revealed. It's been announced through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, verse 12 says. This good news is no longer a shadowy figure. It's not, it's not a vague hope. He is a person of history, of flesh and blood. It's not just an idea or a shadow flesh and blood. And there's a story to tell about his life and his death and his resurrection that is essential. We got to know those kind of facts. But in addition, the Spirit must work in the telling of that story of salvation. It's not just about mentally assenting to a body of historic facts. It's not checking off. Do you believe Jesus lived? Yes. Do you believe he was born of a virgin? Yes. Do you believe that he died? Yes. Do you believe he rose? Yes. Do you believe he ascended? Yes. Yeah. I mean, those are, yeah, yeah, those are important. Those are essential things. You have to believe those. But that doesn't save you. There's no intellectual knowledge that's ever going to save you. It's about being impacted by the story. It's about coming alive to the hero of the story. Being born again to a living hope. That's how Peter says it because of who he is and what he's done. We no longer have to search and inquire in quite the same way as the Old Testament prophets, okay? They searched and inquired, they were groping, okay? We don't have to do that in quite the same way, but we do keep growing by continuing to search and inquire about him by looking at the whole story, the whole biblical narrative, by doing that in a community of people. Like, this isn't just you and your Bible and Jesus. This is that and doing it, wrestling with it, with others, in community and in prayer. And as we do this, he can grow in us that inexpressible joy that he talks about. He can grow that in us. You can't just, you can't just make yourself joyful. I just don't, I mean, some people say they can do that. I don't know how that works. Something else has to make me joyful. Joy has to invade me. And this hope of this salvation is future, it is present, it is past, that ultimately we might know and encounter him personally. Right, that's the end of this. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, 
You know Him, or you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice because of Him. Verse 10, the grace that the, that the prophets talked about came through a specific person, Jesus. Salvation came through His suffering, His resurrection. Peter's going to refer to this, and he's going to explain it a little bit more as the letter goes on, because he says things like this. I mean, you can just thumb through it. He says things like, we were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. This is later on in chapter 1. That he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds we are healed. He says that in, in chapter 2. Sometimes we Christians, if you consider yourself a Christian, maybe you, you include yourself in this, sometimes we talk about these things in passing as if they're easy to understand. Oh, yes, I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. <laughs> One, what do you mean by that? And two, what do you mean by that? <laughs> right? It's, a, it's, a, it's deep personal stuff. Um, if somebody ever say, says they were saved by the blood of another person, like, I don't know that that's anything any of us would say. We might say, look, I'd give my right arm for you. Right? We say that. Okay, it's a similar type of thing. I, I'll... I'm saved by the blood of someone. What would we mean by that? We'd probably mean that person like personally suffered for me. They gave, their, gave up something for me. They gave up their life and some, maybe even their, their whole life. They gave up something from me. That was very personal. We kind of get it there, but there's so much more when we're talking about this salvation, this personal from Jesus. How does it work? Well, salvation brings hope. And this salvation comes through the suffering and the resurrection of a particular person. It's not some generic Savior. Why do, why do Christians talk about Jesus so much? Because it's, it's personal. It's not just a Redeemer that's like vague. It's, again, flesh and blood. It's personal. This is the hope. This is a particular Savior who gives the hope. Sometimes I can over-theologize this. Um, I can lose the, law personal the raw personal story. Sometimes I do that. I like theology. I like to talk about theology, but sometimes it can become impersonal. In his sufferings, Jesus personally takes on slavery. He becomes a slave. He became a prisoner. He, he, pers like, he didn't theoretically do that. He didn't theologically do that. He did that. He was enslaved. He takes the hate and the suffering and the separation, the rejection, physically, relationally, spiritually. He takes death. Like, metaphorically speaking, he took death into himself. Physically, spiritually, whatever that means, he takes death. And talk about meaninglessness. His suffering seems like so meaningless. Like, if you just go back and read the story, they kill this guy who's been doing a bunch of good stuff. That seems so meaningless. Or maybe it's even worse than meaningless because his enemies actually thought they had great meaning in doing what they were doing. They thought that they were doing God's work. They were standing in God's, standing up for God's honor. They thought they were standing for his righteousness. They thought that they were doing God's bidding. They thought they were acting on God's behalf, while in reality, they were killing God. Whoa. It went from meaninglessness to opposing true meaning. And Jesus allows that false meaning or that meaningless torture to play out on him, to play out in him. That was deeply personal and necessary for the rescue mission. 
He took on our slavery. He took it on. He took on death. He took on this meaninglessness. And out of that came the subsequent glories. Because through his resurrection, he completed the, the project. He completed the, the salvation by bringing us freedom, acceptance into his community. For however that happens, whatever he accomplished by being that and doing that for us, he now brings to us freedom and acceptance. He brings us life, reconciliation, and a promised future out of the grave. You no longer have to fear death because there's something more to come. There's a resurrection coming. His resurrection now gets to be applied to you on some future day. And by bringing us meaning, even in the apparent meaningless and malice and twisted purposes of men that you and I may experience, through Jesus, God proves he can bring meaning and goodness where humanity brings destruction, either intentionally or unintentionally. I mean, think about that. Think about the things that you've gone through that felt like, what's the point? Why? Do you think your life and your suffering is meaningless? In Christ, God gives meaning to the meaninglessness. Or he turns it upside down and inside out. Whatever you face right now, it's not meaningless. I mean, really, if the meaninglessness of Jesus' death resulted in the greatest act for humanity ever, I think whatever things we feel like are meaningless right now, God can use for good. The longer I do this, the deeper this well kind of goes for me. I keep getting tripped up by this story in a good way. This salvation runs deep. It runs deep. Matter of fact, what Peter says is, look, the angels, they, they like longing to look at this. They can't look at this enough. Like, they, they want more of this. All right, look at those, whatever those creatures are, which seem to be a lot greater than me, if they can't get enough of it, how much more can we not get enough of it? To staring into that and to want more. Knowing and encountering Jesus personally is the hope of our future. We're all slavery and death and meaningless. It's going to be, it'll be eradicated. That is, that's your hope, no matter what you're going through right now. That is, a, that is a hope that's given to you in Jesus. He is the hope of our present salvation. His affliction and desire for you and for your good is what makes him the most lovable person. You know, why love Jesus? Because you're told to love Jesus? That kind of sucks. Like, well, I'm glad that I've read books that told me to love Fran because Fran's really grateful that someone told me to love her, right? That's awful. Why do I love her? Because she's beautiful. She's lovely. He's beautiful. He's the most lovable person. He's the most trustworthy person that you're ever going to meet. He's the most celebratable person. Is that a word? It is now. He's the most celebratable person. There's something about setting your hope fully on him that can, as time goes on, override and erode and reorient our lesser hopes, our lesser fears, our lesser anxieties. He can actually start to erode those things. And when he is our salvation, we don't have to have our success be school-saving us, okay? Um... You don't have to have it be your condemnation if you fail and you flunk out of school. <laughs> it's not going to happen, okay? You're going to be okay. 
It doesn't have to destroy you. You don't have to have your job or your relationship or your marriage save you. You don't have to have your... Please don't let your political candidate save you, right? Nor do they have to destroy you. Having your hope set on Him, drilling into His suffering and His greatness and His grace can change how we approach every area of life. For those of you who've been around town church, do you know the mission statement? What your vision statement is? Our vision is to see the gospel transform what? Everything. It changes everything. We are a people who have been saved, who are being saved, who will be saved because of the personal constant presence of the Savior. That's why. And the result is we personally want to see Him and His good news fill us more and more, but also for Him to be known. Here we go. And to infect and to influence and to transform everything around us. Let's pray. Father, we are a people, it's, it's just in our nature, whether we believe in you or not, we need hope. It's hard to live without hope. And so you've made us this way, so you must certainly know it. And then you offer us a hope that is unshakable. We need a salvation in order to have hope a salvation that is deep and rich and profound, that actually spreads into every area, not only of our life, but of the world. And you offer that to us in Jesus. Lord Jesus, if there is any of us here who are struggling with this, who we've, we've maybe heard the story, but we've never really come to know you as salvation, would your spirit press him into us? Bring us to life. And for those of us who call on you as Redeemer, as Rescuer, as Savior, Lord, we need for you again to bring us to life. We need to experience. We need to know, yes, the future salvation that's coming, what you have accomplished, and we need to know it in the presence personally. So please, Spirit, do a work in us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.